Oh well, what the fuck are we going to be doing then? <coughs> We're going to be doing samurai cinema. Talking about Japanese cinema. You're listening to Podcast on Fire. It's Asian cinema in a podcast with your hosts, the magnificent trio of Stu, Ken, and Mike. Welcome to Japan on Fire Free which uh, we actually promised to be sort of the last Japan on fire, but we're, we're, we're sticking with this one. We're running with it there because Japanese cinema is quite a wide um, subject to, to cover. So uh, I'm the host, Kenneth Olsen, and with me in Scotland, Stuart Sutherland. Hello. And in, in, the, in, in the thick lands of Birmingham, <laughs> Mike Banner. Good afternoon. <laughs> Did you just deliberately try to sound intelligent there? I need to try, bitch. <laughs> well, well we're now we're now it's a scholar show, obviously. Is, we're, we're... is shit Cephalus? Ah. Well, Japan on Fire Free will cover samurai cinema, and really, I mean, w- w- what can we say that hasn't been said before? This is the type of genre that really scholars do cover. So. We're not at attempting to bring anything new to the table, just uh, our perspective on samurai cinema and the perspective of two movies we, we've chosen that are, uh, again, not uh, perhaps the expected movies. So uh, I will run through the history of it, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, our experience with samurai cinema, and we'll uh, go uh, through the movies, and uh, later on uh, I'll, I'll be catching up with Adam Terrell to hear his views on uh, what era he preferred, uh, which is a little tease of uh, what's to come. So, history time. In Japan, the term chambara, also commonly spelled as chambara, is used for for this genre. Uh, Literally, it's sword fighting movies. And uh, roughly, it's uh, equivalent in the West uh, could be like swashbuckler films, uh, Wikipedia says. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, or, or obviously the Western. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as I'll get uh, to, actually, the connection to the Western uh, cowboy movies is uh, quite uh, quite evident. Um, Chambara is a subcategory of the genre Jedi Geki, which equates to the period drama, which we've discussed before. And uh, historically, the genre is usually set during the Tokugawa era, which ran from 1600 to 1868. And uh, an often used theme is uh, the focus on uh, on on the end of an entire way of life of a samurai, and uh, um, many of the films deal with these masterless samurais uh, uh, called uh, ronins, and uh, they they try to deal with the changes to their status, uh, uh, result which results from a, a changing society, which is kind of interesting, and. Uh, these films, obviously, as many, many, many know, that these were constantly made uh, during the uh, 50s, 60s, and into the early 70s. But by the early 70s, like overexposure on television, the aging of the big stars of the genre, and the continued decline of the mainstream Japanese film industry, it, it put a halt on most of the production of this often 
startlingly original artistic genre. We touched upon this decline in the early 70s, even when talking about the pink film. Uh, the big studios ha had to you know, come up with uh, some new way to conquer the audiences again, audiences that, that were more infatuated with uh, TV and uh, uh, Western movies. Uh, so, speaking of directors, uh, famous directors of the Samurai cinema, uh, obviously Akira Kurosawa is best known to Western audiences and um, being the director of movies like Seven Samurai, Rashomon, From the Blood, Jojimbo, and many others. And he had a long association with the actor Toshiro Mifune, uh, arguably Japan's most famous actor. And uh, a guy I first saw when watching the old Richard Chamberlain miniseries Shogun, although that was a long, long, long miniseries. Uh, pretty good actually I uh, always like that and uh, Mifune himself had a production company that produced the uh, Samurai epics uh, often with him uh, starring uh, coming back to the connection that uh, Samurai cinema has to uh, to the west although not cowboy movies in this case uh, two of Kurosawa's Samurai movies were based on the works of William Shakespeare uh, Throne of Blood uh, used Macbeth as its source and Ran uh, used King Lear as its source and uh, not seen either and uh, I'm Japanese or all the or or familiar with the plays to be honest but mm -hmm. uh, other important directors uh, Masaki Kobayashi director of Harakiri and Samurai Rebellion uh, I've seen Harakiri that's a very very good film uh, Kihachi Okamoto director of Samurai Assassin Kill <laughs> and uh, Sword of Doom uh, Gosha uh, Hideo um, Free Outlaw Samurai and What's, uh, what's also evident in Samurai Cinema is the uh, recurring characters. Uh, and the known characters are, for instance, the blind Samurai Satoichi, who's been played often, very often, maybe the most, <laughs> by the brilliant actor Shintaro Katsu, who also starred in Hands of Eraser, the uh, exploitation uh, trilogy of films uh, uh, with the Samurai theme. And, uh, of course, this Satoichi character was reimagined by the Takeshi Katini, uh, Kitano, uh, his way, <laughs> in, uh, in the movie called uh, Satoichi. Mm -hmm. And it, recently, so. yeah. uh, in, the, uh, in Ichi, where the character was a, a lady. Exactly. But, but uh, uh, as I learned when talking to Adam, as, as you also will hear, there, there actually was some movies in the early 70s that had a female Satoichi character. So it's, it's not the first time, actually. But uh, you are much correct. Uh, that's the most recent appearance by Satoichi-esque character. We <clears throat> uh, got Lone Wolf and Cub, of course. The uh, tale of a samurai traveling Japan with his son in a pram which is armed and on an occasion used in combat. And uh, how, how far into that series are you by now, Mike? Michael, have you seen the first movie only still? I am one movie into the series. But to be honest, I, I, I rented that when I had my online uh, DVD rental. And so that was probably about my eighth choice. As usual, it popped through the post. Never got the first one. <laughs> um, yeah, but I watched that and really enjoyed it. But the, the, the other films will... Uh, will be watched at some point yeah because the first uh, one was brilliant right um, also uh, other characters you got the Sanjuro which is the wandering Ronin character appearing in two of Kurosawa's films uh, Jojimbo and, and Sanjuro and, and the character is nameless but uh, when required he's given the name Sanjuro it's, which literally means 30-ish uh, male and uh, along the way in these movies apparently he makes up a surname and uh, Jojimba, I think, means um, 
in uh, and it means uh, or 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 he's uh, called uh, bodyguard or bodyguard. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a recurring character as well. But then the Western connection, as Mike uh, t- touched upon, uh, uh, a number of these movies out in the West uh, and in Europe have retold, well, well, let's say number of movies in America and Europe, <laughs> have retold the samurai movies in, in a Western context. And uh, Italian director Sergio Leone's Fistful of Dollars and Walter Hill's Last Man Standing are both remakes of uh, George Jimbo. Uh, Clint Eastwood's obviously uh, is the man with no name character. And uh, this was modeled to some degree on... Uh, Toshiro Mifune's Wandering Ronin characters. And uh, The Hidden Fortress by Kurosawa is known to have influenced uh, George Lucas when he made Star Wars. And uh, Seven Samurai has been remade as a Western called The Magnificent Seven. Mm-hmm. And uh, this back and forth is kind of interesting, and w- which leads us into what is your what was your ex- first exposure? Well, what is your relation, relationship to samurai cinema and uh, uh, is it alluring at all to you? So, Stuart? Um, for me, the trying to think, I can't really put my finger down on the first one I've seen. I think it would actually have to be beat the Keshi's version of Zatoichi. But when it comes to the old black and white movies, I shelled out and bought the Region 1 edition of The Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. And, like, man, that was a long fucking film. I know. That film was long. I mean, it was sunny when I put that film on. <laughs> <laughs> it was nighttime when that film finished. I managed to like reboot. Well, like, I think my computer must have crashed, so I put that on in the background. By the time the film finished, the computer was up and running again. It's that <laughs> the next like. You, you ordered a new computer. The guy came to your house and installed it. Yeah, yeah all this shit. It was still running. <laughs> And yeah, it's interesting, but man, you you do have to put a lot of time if you want to sit and watch it in one go. Films like that, I, I like I would watch the first half, then watch the other half another day. But yeah, uh, one of our regular guests, Jim, who also writes reviews for the site now, um, he gave me a borrow of a film in him. It's terrible. It's Akira Kurosawa, and I have forgotten the name of it, which is shocking. But it's this great film where the when the king's being threatened, there's like the invasions between the different clans, and the king basically hires a beggar, who like becomes his body double. It's sort of like a prince and pauper type thing. So the real king goes into hiding, and then there's just the the homeless guy who's been made up to look like the king. That film, not, I, I actually really enjoyed that one. It's not ran for any reason. It, it could be, but. Because I don't know how King, the, the basic story of King Lee, I don't know anything about that, but I'm thinking, mm-hmm. uh, well, first of all, was it colour? Yes. Okay, so. <laughs> we'll nail it then. <laughs> <laughs> aye, aye. So, that, I really enjoyed that film. But, yeah, when it really comes to it, I've probably not even watched half a dozen, like, Chambara movies. Well, actually, from doing this, these shows, I've obviously watched more. <laughs> so. There's improvement there somewhere. I can relate to that. Uh, well, that long movies uh, overall, really. Uh, unless it's something like uh, Lord of the Rings, I'll probably I do need a few sittings uh, across a few days, and you know, it's uh, you, you you still keep the movie uh, uh, fresh in your mind, and it's not confusing and such. But uh, it's m- my perspective on it is that 
it's it's slightly hard for me to approach uh, old timey samurai cinema. Eventually, when I sit down and experience the movies full on, it's uh, usually a very favorable impression. But uh, uh, it uh, it takes I don't know a lot of effort anyway mm-hmm. to prepare for it to, to watch it uh, in in sort of a dedicated way. I, I wouldn't be able to to watch it like I do certain Hong Kong movies that I know. That I know the familiar beats. I don't need to watch the screen all the time to get to, you know, to see where they're at in the movie and uh, to, to to make sure I catch all the jokes. So, so some movies you just know, but uh, yeah, I need, I, I need to concentrate with my mm. samurai cinema. Ha, having said that, one brilliant uh, series of films are, are are perfect in that regard. It's a it's a, it's a big epic split into three. And it's a samurai trilogy. Samurai one, two, and three, and they have uh, uh, extra titles after each one. They, these are like one hundred minute films about the same character played by Toshiro, Toshiro Mifune, and uh, it's just a brilliant trilogy of films, uh, ninety to one hundred minute each, which is hmm. so, so fucking perfect and uh, wonderful movies too. They're made during the fifties, and uh, I believe uh, <laughs> for some reason they did, despite them being my favorite movies, I never looked them up. When do research, but uh, they're 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 available on Criterion DVD and stuff like that. So uh, just just all out brilliant. So I wish more would do that. You know, uh, sure, make an epic trilogy, but each part being a short one is uh, much more alluring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but there's still much much to explore. But uh, as always, these are popular movies. These are available movies. Good prints are available. Remastering is taking place all the time, which means they will never be rare. So therefore, or availability will always be uh, high, good. So therefore, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not a bad thing to take your sweet time to, to watch uh, classics. Uh, it's my opinion anyway. Mm-hmm. So, Michael? Kajamusha. <gasps> That's it. The film she watched. Yep. <clears throat> um... Well, I mean, I don't really watch a lot of Japanese films, to be honest. Um, kicking around with quite a lot of, obviously, Kung Fu, especially Shaw Brothers, um, uh, Hong Kong action films. Um, and usually if I'm watching, if it's something from a different Asian country, it tends to be Korean cinema that I watched. I watch most of the time. Mm. Um, but I have seen Zatoichi, and I love that film. That film's ace. And as I mentioned before, the first in the Lone Wolf and Cub series. That's also an excellent film as well. I usually find with Japanese films, even like the, you know, the samurai film will kind of be the equivalent of like the, the Kung Fu film. Mm-hmm. Sure. And yet usually it's obviously a lot more kind of art house and not as pulp and mm-hmm. tends to be slower and more contemplative. Yeah, you never really got to that... Um... The action side to it, you know, without the art house pretension until like when the likes of Lone Wolf and Cub started to be produced, you know, the early 70s uh, uh, type of movies. But you also got the exploitation to go along with that, which might not be to some people's liking. But uh, that that's the time, uh, as Adam will speak of, that, that's the time I also think is more approachable for me. It's like, uh, yeah, I'll put this on. This should be fun. Yeah. Rob than the Akira Kurosawa ones that might, you know, not like the abstract, uh, the, the ones I've seen, but uh, still, you know, they're character pieces, certainly. And uh, I don't know, I, I, 
I, I need to concentrate a little bit more. I need to focus, uh, not make notes or anything, but uh, you know, it's uh, sometimes you just want to watch movies and relax. And with it's maybe just a thing I'm doing to myself uh, wrongly, perhaps to, to concentrate this hard. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, uh, that's why how I am right now. Well, I'm sure you didn't have to concentrate very hard for one of the films we're going to review tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, so I find a, a slower pace. And, and so you kind of have to concentrate a bit more, but you kind of also just sit there and soak up the atmosphere and the characters and let things wash over you, mm-hmm. even, even most of the action films I've seen. Um, a zoomy, would that count? Yeah. A oh, chick yeah. with a sword slicing people up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A modern more... equivalent. Hang on a sec. God damn it. <laughs> I'll wait for somebody else. I'll wait for the butler to get that. There <sighs> we go. Um, These posh bastards. Yeah. Don't let the accent fool you. <laughs> um, e- I mean, even that, which is kind of action-y and doing a bit with the camera and everything, that's still kind of slow-paced. Still, fair bit of character in that. It's not just ridiculous action constantly. So that's, that's one of the big main differences I noticed between watching that and kind of uh, Hong Kong movies. Some little, um, but I can't say as much of an expert. I mean, the Zatoichi films and the Lone Wolf and Cub and things like that, Hansel the Razor. I'm interested in, them, but there always seems to be so many films in the series. I never quite know where to start. Mm. It's quite. A little bit daunting knowing you know what to get into and how many you know uh, I don't know I get a bit confused yeah yeah well no wonder with Lone Wolf for Cow because you know as you perhaps know the, the English version of the first uh, well the Samurai Assassin movie was the co- uh, composite of the first two movies in the Lone Wolf and Cub series and uh, the English versions after that I think uh, have you skipped one movie or continue to like bring in some footage from <laughs> you know so you have different AKAs which is not really easy to keep hold of the only way to keep tra- tra- uh, keep track of it the only way to keep track of it is uh, to buy the box sets I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> so someone someone organized it for me <laughs> and that, that film Shogun Assassin isn't it yeah I think it's uh, a yeah. composite of the first two uh, Lone Wolf and Cub and uh, maybe that baby card that River Sticks or whatever it's called yeah, well, I think um, most of it is Baby Cart the River Sticks. Well, most of the action, because apparently that's uh, pretty ramped up in the action department. Right. Um, a lot of people actually have a lot of love for uh, Shogun Assassin. Uh, you, you, being a bit of a hack job. You're actually right, because uh, where they, the company in America, uh, Animego, Animego, whatever it's called, they actually they, they put up both uh, uh, and, and the rest of the movies in that series uh, in uh, separate English versions because you, you can't match it up with the original versions and uh, uh, which was kind of cool uh, you know it's, uh, it means an additional release but it's uh, uh, still catering to like a small fan base of the original stuff and, uh, I'm sure it's not like a hack job uh, as such because people obviously have love for it but um, yeah uh, I would like to have both Maybe it's fascinating even to see how if they, if they maybe only did 10 minutes of the first movie and the rest from, from the second because that, that was more um, action-oriented and therefore you would get a perspective of what they were trying to do at that time. You know, make it uh, a film that would make money, make uh, 
make uh, ripples if you will mm-hmm. and then kind of the other biggies are uh, Akira Kurosawa films now Akira Kurosawa that that, that snuggles nice and, and, and neatly in with stuff like Casablanca and Citizen Kane in the in the kind of this list is only kept in my head a stockpile but of films that are kind of always been meaning to watch like the classics that I haven't actually got around to exactly so I've got been meaning to watch Citizen Kane for you know about 15 years mm-hmm. and uh, same with sort of the you know Seven Samurai especially because I know my dad loves that film mm. and uh, you know Throne of Blood and Ketamusha and things like that but I just haven't got around to it but uh, it's still obviously the same in the UK the availability uh, availability of these is great I mean even as rentals surely no oh, yeah yeah they're easily easy to get hold of I think the um, the British Film Institute have, have released uh, all those films I think hmm. they tend to but like the uh, Japanese kind of slightly arthousey films mm-hmm. those that, you're not short of DVDs of those in the country I would actually recommend to both of you if you can find the Samurai trilogy it's uh, Samurai 1, 2 and 3 stars Toshiro Mifune if you, you'll easily find it on IMDb uh, if you can find that trilogy of films it's actually quite easily digestible because because they are short films, no, none of them reached to our mark and uh, and in the end you realise it's just a great trilogy of, uh, trilogy of films and uh, uh, it'll be my recommendation to you and uh, recommendation to everyone really mm-hmm. well should, should we segue on to another recommendation now in the way that we recommend that you listen to Ken and Adam Terrell banter on for 20 minutes why not well I'd love to awesome alright um hi this is uh, Adam Terrell from the window films just uh talking about uh, Shambra films and uh, some good old, some of my favourite samurai films back in the day. Well, well, well certainly, how, how, how did you get into, uh, how did you get into it, uh, like, like the usual, uh, usual path into it via Seven Samurai, Akira Kurosawa films, or? Um, yeah, I think, I think, like everyone, got into the classics, and maybe at the time I was probably about 14 or 15 when I got into the classics and then maybe when I was 16 and I wanted something a bit more I got into the the bloodier films uh, basically the earlier 70s films or I, I'd gone from the Seven Samurais the Samu- Samurai Trilogy right. those sorts of films into the Zadoichi which are great but never really do you get the over the topness that came in the early 70s with the I guess my favourite years were about 72 to 74 when you had all these film series that were all of about 3 to 6 or so films that followed a hero or heroine that um, had a sort of novelty about them the Lone Wolf and Cub is the obvious mm you know, about this swordsman who carries his his child about on a revenge spree. And but then you've got the Razor trilogy, the Hands of the Blade, which is the big penis uh, police sergeant who's uh, going okay. around 
finding information through rape and torture. Which is you very know. light-hearted, by the way. I've seen the three films. It's it still a very light-hearted uh, trilogy of films. Yeah, I should, I should have said that. It's, it's, it's rape and torture in a somewhat amusing way, because what he would do is... Um, I remember, I think it's the beginning of, of the first... I mean, it has been years where, where he does a scene in which he trains his penis to give it uh, strength, and I guess for for the endurance process and mm. he beats it with a stick and shags this big thing of rice with it and all and it's it's all done from this sort of POV shot of him beating this out of focus penis with a stick and it, it is brilliant and what would happen is as a police sergeant instead of questioning um, witnesses or these sorts of things uh, in the normal way and the, the, these people would always happen to be women. He would start raping them, stop halfway through, and then they would want, want it so much, want him to finish, that they would tell him all the information needed. So, I mean, they were really funny. And also, they were incredibly bloody, and the cinematography was great. I think I remember also the intro to the first film is done in this sort of almost like a 70s black exploitation film in a split screen, and then. It's sort of a bit wah-wah pedal music, if I remember correctly. Do you remember? Uh, not the interest such. I, I have like two brief memories of the first film. Is uh, one is how he uh, like uh, cuts this, uh, the nose of what turns out to be like uh, one of his assistants uh, throughout uh, the first or second or third film, and then obviously one of the sex scenes where he's uh, or rape scenes where he's uh, he has this woman. Uh, uh, in a in a sort sort of bag or, or hammock or what have you, and uh, yeah. rapes her that way, and and he and he spins her, uh, but uh, no harm done to him, and and his penis, he can spin her in the air and still, yeah, it's insane. Well, that's why obviously he was training his penis uh, yes. beforehand so that you know it's ready for such uh, techniques. Hong Kong had their their you know type of training scenes. You know they always pounded pounded uh, rocks, uh, hard rocks or, or gravel and I guess this is kind of a, an equivalent in a Chambara exploitation kind of way Yeah, uh, I mean they, they were great and I do uh, the, the opening scene it is for the first or the second one is like Shaft and it's fantastically edited and the music is great, it's, it's almost like you're watching Shaft in ancient Edo, Japan sort of thing uh, which makes the whole experience even even better. Um, also, other films from that era that I remember, The Wicked Priest, which um, was, I think, I think it stars the same person from Long Wolf and Cub, or it's and it's directed by Shintaro Katsu, because if I remember correctly, they were brothers, or they were right. somewhat related, the star of Long Wolf and Cub, whose name has eluded me. Yeah, yeah, Shintaro Katsu, I remember. Uh, the other guy, I, I lost that name, but uh, I didn't know Shintaro Katsu went into directing, but it would make sense somewhat. It's a directing or production, I believe. Right, or right. I should have actually done some research on IMDb and all this stuff before. This is all from <laughs> memory from 10 years back. It, it, it uh, brings up the question of what, what is respected Shambara cinema really... Uh, Akira Kurosawa stuff is respected. These Lone Wolf Cub, 
Hans of a Razor, more more cult films, or do, have you gotten the impression that they approach respect as well? Yeah, they were more. I mean, as the fact also that there were series, and the fact that a lot of them also became TV series. Lone Wolf and Cub was a TV series. Um, Shinsugumi was a TV series. Um, that it was just this sort of 90 minutes cinema that's the same way that we have our million sequels nowadays. It was, it was similar. I mean, not of any uh, quality cinema. I mean, obviously, if you look at them from the era of... Remember the Japanese... Uh, film industry going down the same way that the American film industry did and pink cinema becoming the way that got many people back into the cinemas mm -hmm. and exploitation cinemas a way of just getting cinema numbers up before the establishments therefore started um, increasing their quality film production the same way that happened in America when the independents took over the studios and you had all these films like Shampoo and Easy Riders, made by major studios. I mean, the Chamber films and the Pink films and the Roman Port, well, not the Pink films, obviously, uh, because they were independently made, but sometimes released through major distribution labels. Right. But also with uh, Roman Porno, which was Nikatsu's, like, Nikatsu's version of the Pink film. But a, a lot of these companies would, just anything to get people in the cinema, because when TV, when, P when you know, television became... Easy, easily accessible to the general public. People didn't go to the cinema so much, mm. and all the major studios would be doing these big productions of the late fifties. Same thing that happened in America, but basically up the ante so, and uh, and uh, <laughs> be with times. So basically, but did Chambaro films go through any any dips uh, as the years went on uh, throughout the seventies and eighties? Or well, I mean, I, I'd say the the golden years in terms of what are now considered the cult classics are mainly 72 to 74 of the these are the ones when you think of if you're looking at chamber of films from a perspective of you don't know what titles or anything about them it's you can look at years and basically find out what you're going to get so if you look at the late mid early to late 60s we've got the Zadoichis the Sleepy Eyes of Death series, Shinsugumi, thing like that, you know you're going to get less blood or no blood for most of the time. Then when you've got into the early 70s, 71, 2, 3, 4, you're going to find films that are going to be covered in blood and maybe have a lot of sexual undertones or overtones. It's So it all depends on more entertainment, more over-the-top, more blood versus maybe a little more quality, whatever you're interested in personally. I prefer the 72 to 74 films because nothing beats them in terms of entertainment value. Exactly. I think it's more easily approachable. I'm the same way, although uh, I love the Samurai trilogy, I think, the, because they're, they're like 100-minute films, free 100-minute films, very easily accessible rather than watching a whole three, uh, three four-hour epic uh, of my favorite uh, films uh, from Samurai era, but the, do, do you know if the Samurai films ever, uh, you know, when they had blood, did, did any go into like any uh, dark, uh, disturbing uh, portrayal of, of bloodletting in these films? So it's basically fun or fun or drama, <laughs> if you will. 
Well, I mean, I would say Lady Snowbird series is pretty disturbing. Um, just because of uh, the way the character is created. I mean, the, the rape of her mother that's brought out this vengeance from the, the womb thing. I mean, I mean, the Hands of the Blade was a little more entertaining. But, I mean, Lone Wolf and Cub was, was at times disturbing. It's... It all depends, I guess, on sometimes what are the directors involved. I know a lot of times it was Hideo Gosha involved, um, and uh, Kenji Misumi was doing a lot of stuff. Uh, but, you know, I guess sometimes if you've got a director that did a one off for a series, it could be that one film of the Lone Wolf and Cub series or something like that might be, might be a little darker. Uh, Right. I think it's the same way that if you look at pink cinema, um, pink cinema throughout its time was there to get people in the cinemas, and as long as it had nudity, or I think maybe five scenes of nudity in a 60-minute film, then this your, the distribution company would release it into cinemas. So as a director, you could either just make this film or you were given free reign to put whatever you wanted as long as you had the five scenes of nudity required by the distribution label exactly. and that's how you had directors like Koji Wakamatsu come through and make these films, these pink films with heavy political undertones or sometimes overtones uh, so it's possibly in that there are quite a lot of films in the Chambers or the ultra-violent Chambers series that as long as they had the blood, they could slip in whatever they wanted uh, on the side. That's a wonderful freedom in a way. Uh, because it's seen like a, the majority of the time they could do what they like, but the uh, percentage-wise, the required stuff uh, didn't take up, you know, in a way, didn't take out the majority of the film, which is kind of cool. You know, maybe a 60-40 balance, you know, 60% pure artistry in the political context and 40% what we need. <laughs> That's, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, I remember how many directors came through um, making genre rubbish films who got, who are now big directors. I mean, other than the Wakamatsu, you've got, uh, like, Kyoshi Kurosawa, uh, director of Tokyo Sonata, who was a pink film director, and um, the director of Okuribito, which and Shall We Dance, which just won, I mean, Okuribito just won the foreign language film Oscar, he was a pink film director, so in these sort of sub-genres, you can get away with a lot more as long as you've got what's needed to um, get people in the seats, so, or what the studios felt was needed. So it was a brilliant time for, uh, for cinema. But nowadays, uh, not so brilliant in terms of Chambara films, getting cheaper, even though it's more uh, exploitation-like uh, when you read certain titles. But is there anything, anyone doing something worthwhile out there? Well, I guess, you know, if we're looking as in right nowadays, what's happening a lot of the time is the V cinema that is kicked back in again because of the popularity internationally with these films like Machine Girl and... Uh, Robots versus, or ninjas versus geishas, or something like that, or samurai princess. These, which are these rubbish, um, straight-to-video titles that 
are really focused more on getting the money and exploiting without any sort of directors that are putting anything more into it in terms of focusing on the quality because anybody can do one nowadays especially with videotape uh, I mean you've got a few quality films that focus more on um, focus more on the look of the film but with that good mix of good vi violence, blood and quality cinema of recent, they tend to go too much one way, which having no blood and quality, where you've got the Yoji Yamada film, like Love and Honor, the Samurai trilogy there, which is brilliant. Or you've got the complete other way with the um, films like uh, Geishas vs. Ninjas. But then there's a few things like uh, Azumi is very good, and Gojo uh, is very good as well, Zipang. Um, I don't know, I think because of V Cinema nowadays, it's going to be a bit trickier because you're just getting all these. Because films can be done so cheap, but then they're looking cheap. That it's just maybe it's that look of film that isn't so. It's missing. It's certainly no problem selling titles like Samurai Zombie or or the Ninja Movie or uh, Chambara Beauty. So if they can sell them, shoot them cheap, then that's not bound to go away, you know, in a week. No, and, um, yeah, it's just the whole shooting cheap thing, and because they can get directors in who can do it, who aren't really that savvy in um, shooting on film nowadays. And I guess there's, but this is a whole worldwide thing where we're losing... There's, there's not that influx of young talent that are studied on shooting on film and lighting that way because nowadays in film schools you've got so many people learning solely to shoot on video for cheap which is a whole different problem in its own. Well certainly in the movie we, we, we cover in, 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 in the Japan on Fire podcast one of the movies Twilight Samurai is for me personally who don't follow Japanese cinema as closely or this type of genre uh, it's good to have those kind of movies come out that are very um, accessible to new viewers because Twilight Samurai has to me is more um, a universal story that necessarily isn't about purely about it being a Chambara movie it's, a, it's more of a character piece that many can relate to so hopefully we'll see that coming out as well in sort of a so a balance between you know the cheap and the and the rich on artistic <laughs> flavor can be achieved. Well, I mean, I think with Twilight Samurai, I mean these are Kurosawa type films, and remember the director of Twilight Samurai, Yoji Yamada, is an old school director, and he's quite old as it is anyway. So it's not we're not exactly talking about new talents. Right. I mean, if so. I wouldn't really call that so much when looking at modern day Japanese cinema you know I wouldn't call an old director making just because it's made new it's really an, is it really a new film uh, I mean when it comes to the newer stuff yeah I would say the best is things like Azumi uh, I quite like Red Shadow and Samurai Fiction is a very interesting 
take on samurai type films. Uh, yeah, I mean, Gojo, like I said, is is very interesting. I don't really know. Like I said, I've I've just got to have a look at the old DVD shelf here and see what popping out. <laughs> Uh, what's the buzz on uh, on Ichi uh, now that it's hitting DVD and stuff like that? I mean, actually, I, I saw it's been a while. I saw Ichi, I think, I saw it a little over a year ago. So it's it's a, not fresh in my memory, but what I I do remember liking it. Uh, it is a good mix of it's very well shot. Um, it's not as quick-paced as you'd expect, but it's got its share of action scenes and blood. So, you know, on the whole, I think it's a, it's a it's a very good. Also, for for people who don't know too much about it, because it will be getting a theatrical release, so they see this new film, and it's a good mix of of genres: the bloodier stuff and a little more quality filmmaking. So, I'd say it's one of the better ones to come out, without a doubt. Is that the first variation of the? Well, has there ever been a female Satoichi film before, or this is the first time we've ever seen that? No, no, there was a female Satoichi. It was a Crimson Bat, if I remember. It was a, it was a part of the early '70s Jambara series type films, and uh, is it Crimson Bat? Fucking hell! A few films about a blind. What was this thing? Blind samurai. Well, uh, to, <laughs> well, uh, to draw a parallel to to Hong Kong cinema, it's quite fun to see that it, uh, n not that it had a trend for like 10, 10 20 years of uh, Japanese chamber cinema of only featuring, you know, female he uh, heroes or heroines, but uh, uh, it's cool that it uh, uh, there was room for uh, some variation in that regard and, and not uh, completely male dominated uh, dominated genre in a way. So. No, but you, I mean, you also have to remember that at the time of these Shambara films, there was also, uh, you know, all those big Yakuza films, and there were many female Yakuza-type films like uh, Wandering Games of Butterfly and things like that. So there were quite a lot of hardcore um, female leads in these violent films, either Yakuza or Samurai. Right, exactly, and, uh, and we've also discussed it on the Pink podcast uh, with with female prisoners and stuff like that. So, uh, certainly not weak uh, weak showcases for for leading leading ladies, tough leading ladies. Yeah, and also you know you get you in that you know breasts come out as they pretty much always did, and you've got uh, violence and nudity, so double cells. Hmm. There you go. So the movie, one of the movies chosen for this podcast is a, it's a sound choice because it, in my opinion it's a classic, uh, but it's a modern one. Uh, the Twilight Samurai from 2002. And uh, the plot goes a little bit something like this. Uh, set in mid-19th century Japan a few years before the Meiji Restoration, it follows the life of Seibei Iguchi, played by Hiroyuki Sanada. He's a low-ranking samurai employed as a bureaucrat. He's poor but not destitute, so he's, and he still manages to lead a content and happy life with his daughter's and senile mother. But sadly, through an unfortunate turn of events, the turbulent times conspire against him. Basically, he's called into action. 
and it's as I said a 2002 Japanese film directed by Yoji Yamada uh, he was behind a long-running series in Japan known in Japan under the title Otoko wa Surayo and it was his Tora-san series uh, the, featuring uh, the traveling merchant Torajiro who is always unlucky in love as uh, since the lead role in every Torasan movie was played by Kiyoshi Atsumi, his death in 1996 put an end to the series. Uh, and uh, Yoji Yamada, the director, is a four-time Best Picture award winner in Japan. And um, The Twilight Samurai was also nominated for um, Best Foreign Language Film at the 76th Academy Awards. And uh, he's a veteran on the scene. And talking a little bit about lead actor Hiroyuki Sanada, also known as Henry Sanada. He began training with Sony Chiba's Japan Action Club uh, once upon a time. And he was first noticed as a serious actor in the movie Majong Horooki, Horooki, directed by Makaru Wada. And Wada and Sanada's relationship is similar, is said to be similar to that of John Huston and Humphrey Bogart's relationship since. Uh, uh, and uh, since then, Sanada has acted in every one of Wada's uh, movies. And uh, by now, he's a well-established character actor who can play many different roles. And uh, some of his famous movies are, uh, aside from Twilight Samurai, he appeared in Ring as the husband of the main character, or ex-husband, I believe. And also The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. And uh, so, so I'll stop right there. Uh, did you guys ever see The Last Samurai? Yeah. Was it no. a big? Okay. Uh, was the big role? Mm. He was one of the more notable Japanese characters. To, he was the one I was basically giving Tom Cruise the hard time. Right. So he was the one I was refusing to accept him. Right. Uh, so uh, did, he, did he come round at the end in a tearjerking moment, Stuart? I can't quite remember. It's, it's the thing I, I fall asleep during films a lot. <laughs> it, it proves if it's a good film or not. It's like, Ooh, it's like, over. like they killed off Billy Conley. <laughs> that's all I can remember. <laughs> the bastards. <laughs> I'm going to protest now. <laughs> Our national icon. <laughs> uh, it's fun also that Sonata can come off as a good uh, action performer uh, based on those two movies. And uh, certainly uh, I haven't experienced any character roles from that time from him. But, but I can imagine he's gotten better over the years and obviously being older... Uh, probably does a lot to him and, and in this movie as we'll talk of now uh, I'll, uh, I'll just say a brief opinion on mine first this is an excellent movie and he's excellent but I would like to hear your ele- extremely elaborate opinions first good? Damn it. Right? yeah come on that's, that's my token answer I should, I should stop doing the show and you I, should just I like have I'm going to kick the fuck out of people <laughs> I, sh- I should just supply you guys with a soundboard and then leave the show. That's all right. Aye. What are you saying about you can? Aye. <laughs> but aye, it, it is a good film. At the first half, it, I really kind of thought it was just it was it wasn't really going anywhere. Obviously, because there's a lack of action. But of course, after he beats up the dude when they're going by the river, I was like, okay. It's picked up. I'll have to pay attention to the story now. But no. This guy actually can fight. Yeah, yeah. It is a it is a good film. I've just not watched it in ages now. And rewatching the trailer this evening 
<laughs> Didn't help me at all. <laughs> Usually it does. <laughs> but yeah, mainly because I've got to rewatch some of the fight scenes as well. Thank you, YouTube. But yeah, trust me, it's a good film. Believe my bullshit opinion. Well, I'll I'll uh, I'll, I'll elaborate then because uh, short opinion is a good thing. It's an elaborate musings. It's not always a good thing, but that's the way I roll. So. <laughs> Uh, but uh, to me, it was more a more accessible piece of samurai cinema. Uh, not only because it's color and only 130 minutes long, but uh, to, to be very serious, it speaks to me on a very personal level. Uh, the emotions through the film I do. Uh, because w when you watch watch a film, it, what happens in the film is it is connected to the history it portrays, which is not something I. Don't know anything about it, but you could cut out Sonata's character with Gichi and place him in many dramas, in any country's cinema, really. But uh, but that's not to say he's a cliched character. Uh, he's a familiar one, but a superb, a familiar one, superbly portrayed for this film. Mm. And uh, what what I connected to, not that I'm like that, but what I connected to emotionally was that he, he's initially seen as an anti-so. Uh, Antisocial, you know, he always uh, declines uh, going out drinking with his, uh, I guess, bureaucrat buddies. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, he always says no, thank you, and then leaves, and uh, you know, no, no one really gets to, to know him. Uh, so, you you think he has a hard time being social? He's a, sort of an introvert, but uh, he he has priorities in life, and you know, that is to look after his family. But the the, the dilemma that, that for the characters. Uh, that he's uh, he he might be a bit uh, too comfortable slash uncomfortable, you know, because uh, he's uh, stuck in a rut in a way. He's not, uh, you know, he's letting his uh, appearance go. He's looking more, you know, more unshaven. He's not. Uh, people complain that he smells. I think mm -hmm. at one point yeah, in the film. there's one scene. So, um, so so I really like that. Uh, that uh, balancing him because he, he he wants to stay out of clan business. Uh, he he doesn't want to be poor, but he doesn't want to, to have anything to, to do with clan business. But uh, he obviously is called into that whether he likes it or not because he has a duty. Uh, I say I say uh, I guess he was a ronin in the film. Uh, it was at, at a time where uh, he was a masterless samurai. Mm -hmm. But. Um, it is really fun when that switch happens that, that you talk about, Stu, that uh, when he's uh, challenged uh, uh, at, the, at the river and mm -hmm. he, he beats up this guy using his, uh, I have a wooden sword yeah, I guess it's a wooden sword uh, not mm -hmm. just his uh, regular sword in, a, in, a, in the sheath uh, but uh, it, it, you really get a feeling that this character he, he has it, but he he's kind of scared of what, what, what the sword means to him but I think he speaks of that he thinks the violence and the sword can corrupt man, and and he he's uh, he's afraid of that. So so basically the whole dilemma is how does he prosper without interfering, interfering in the world? And can you really do that? Because, you know, uh, otherwise you are you going to be poor? Or are you going to <laughs> are you going to uh, you know um, have violence in your life and money? But but that 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 that's him jumping to conclusions, I think, yeah, because it necessarily isn't, you know, you 
it isn't like that automatically. And uh, I'm just going to speak a little bit more. And and, uh, and actually, when the character of Tome, Tomo, Tome, the the female character comes in in the movie, she 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 brings warmth to his life, and uh, and uh, that's a turning point for him, uh, for a, a possible wife again in his life. Yeah. So uh, uh, we'll talk a little bit more, but uh, I'll, I'll I'll hand over to to Mike uh, to see what he thought. Well, obviously I really liked it. It's an excellent film. No doubt about that. <clears throat> oh, I mean, one of the things that I thought while watching it was that it, in an almost, you know, opposite, kind of, not because it's like it, but being practically the opposite of being like it, was uh, Ugetsu, that we've discussed before on a job, which was kind of about uh, men, you know, having being controlled by their ambition, mm-hmm. you know, and, and doing uh, bad things for that ambition. Whereas completely the opposite, our man here has ambition thrust upon him. Yeah. Get the impression he'd be happiest just sitting on a little farm, yeah. growing some fruit and veg and stuff, and, and uh, being with his girls, rather than having to do his job. But he's kind of, it's kind of like where the modern world is, isn't it? Kind of, you know, he just he just um, works to live. He's not bothered about the kind of socialize, socializing with the workmates and his job and, you know, the politics and everything. He just wants to earn the money so he can support his family. And there's obviously something really noble about that and, and, and endearing. So it's easy to get on board with, the, uh, with him and, and really be with him for the whole film. Which obviously adds weight and everything, mm. and a lot of emotion to the story. And 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 that emotion doesn't need to be played out in, in like like full bursts of melodrama and and lots of the dialogue about I'm feeling like this now. It's a, it's a very subtle but clear movie in that regard. It's a, it's concrete. You you can you can see it in Sonata's face uh, what what is going on. There is a beautiful scene where he's fishing and he's basically smiling for the first time talking about what, what Tomei is doing to his life so, you know he's glad that she's in his life and I, I, I thought that is just one of the most wonderful scenes in the film it's not it's a very small moment it's not a scene that says now it's a moment now we're going to have a moment <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to talk and have a big speech flag wave <laughs> you know so I, I, I think uh, going back to Sonata I think it's just a perfect subtle performance in that regard and it's very hard to do that because it can be too subtle therefore abstract and art house and it can be too too uh, uh, can be too much spoken basically I think the only time that it you know, like you said it's a very light film and it's you know nothing's forced upon you it's not overly dramatic and, and melodrama so the only time that it gets any kind of heaviness in that regard is the voiceover I think on a few occasions Right. Un- it feels unnecessary. It's uh, one of the girls, he, his girl, speaking of. Yeah, his uh, youngest uh, daughter, narrating from the future. I can agree in that because you know, I, 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 I'm usually against voiceover in that regard. It feels like uh, uh, a poor addition to to explain things that were already clear. Well, yeah, sometimes it worked nicely, but I mean, I'm, one scene that pops into my head is when he's sharpening his sword and he sees like, the youngest daughter kind of wake up to the sound of it and see him doing it. And the voiceover comes over saying, oh, yeah, I woke up to a sound I wasn't used to, sharpening the sword. 
Oh yeah, we just seen that. Yeah. It, it, it seemed like it was spread out that voiceover, so I, I didn't really remember it until you mentioned it now th that it was present at all because they, they didn't use it very frequently, though. It's not, no, it was no. not like the, every 10 minutes, it was always yeah, at the end there was uh, the, the coda basically. Uh, they used it there, but uh, yeah, I, I, I can certainly agree still. It was a very minor quibble, but it's just something that stood out a bit to me. And, and on the kind of talk of the acting you mentioned there, Sonata, I think. This kind of reminds me of something else as well, of, of like uh, The Sopranos, where the casting is so amazing <clears throat> that you don't feel like anybody's acting. Yeah. It's like the people there were born to play the roles that they're playing in that film, mm -hmm. which is just like it is in The Sopranos. I don't, I can't imagine any of the people from The Sopranos in other things because they just feel like those characters. Exactly. It's like that. It's effortless. Everyone was perfect. The tone and everything of the, of the, the film was really consistent and of really high standard. And also, actually, linked to the ambition thing, it's kind of a, a, quite a bit about class as well, I felt. Kind of reminded me, made me think that uh, in Japan they might be digging um, Jane Austen novels and some old English kind of literature that deals with that kind of the class system and things. A little bit like Sense and Sensibility of people stuck in their class because he, he's always worried with, with Tomoe and uh, mentions it a few times kind of worried about he's only a, he's like a 50 koku family mm -hmm. whereas you know she, she comes from a much richer family and there's definitely like a hierarchy there and he kind of he seems to be a little trapped within that yeah yeah I almost feel like she will suffer uh, uh, because of his low status yeah yeah. So but, 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 but that's what he feels. Yeah. That's the conclusion that he jumps to. Because uh, it, obviously there exists that notion in society, but it's not clear that it automatically will feel that. And she does certainly, if it was that, she certainly would, would have stayed away as well. Because uh, it, it is impossible, uh, it's no use uh, falling in love with this guy because uh, society won't permit it. She, she certainly doesn't signal that at all. Uh, and, uh, and she doesn't. Uh, uh, rebel against her social status and place in society either. It's just, uh, it seems natural in a way. It, it seems possible. Yeah. They could end up together. It, it's actually, uh, right about this time, uh, if you read the podcast post, uh, we're going to make a little time note where, where spoilers happen and where spoilers end because I, I'm dying to speak of a specific moment during the film. Uh, so, uh, these are spoilers, so just recheck the podcast post where you uh, should pick up again if you don't want to hear about uh, things uh, happening during the ending of the film. So, uh, one of the most emotional moments, moments for me in the film that basically just killed me is when he uh, he turns down Thomas Thomas uh, uh, marriage proposal. Aye, uh, it's just it's. It definitely kills me because it's it's coming from a character that doesn't. That's his first instinct to to you know swat away possible positive things in his life, mm -hmm. and it's basically don't know what he's doing. It's really uh, it just kills me, and uh, he he he's thinking, of course, as, as Mike just spoke about that uh, that they they have different status and certainly uh, in terms of money the the. You know, and, and wealth, he, he doesn't have anything to bring. But uh, 
later on when he opens up his heart before he goes to um, uh, to fight the guy in the house at the end fight. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like yeah, he is opening up up his heart, but that that's because he thinks he's not coming back. And uh, it's just really this uh, this conflict in the character that, that can't uh, embrace a positive thing in his life. Uh, this new positive thing in his life in his life just kills me. And it's obviously very well made because of it. But uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, kind of a reason why this movie is uh, number one, uh, as I said, an accessible piece of samurai cinema, and it can appeal to me on a personal level, and I think many on a personal level, because they, these are universal themes. It's just not themes connected to the history of the piece, and connected solely to the genre of uh, Chambara, which is one of the best things about the Twilight Samurai. Mm -hmm. So, anything you want to add before we <laughs> Before we come out of spoiler territory, <laughs> no, 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 he dies at the end. <laughs> I don't know, that was that was a kick in the guts as well. Wait, does he? I didn't like that. Yeah, Man, when, I can't actually remember died, the end. Uh, many years after, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it was like happy end, and I was like, oh god, I wanted that so badly. You know, they didn't overreg it or anything, but you know, you wanted that. You wanted him to succeed. <laughs> And then, you know, he just simply comes up and says, oh, yeah, well, it didn't go too well for him. Three years later, he shot dead. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, in a way, I, I, can, I can see what you're saying there, but the, uh, I took that as uh, the, the moments that, that they had. The, the, you know, they probably did have many good good moments and many good impressions of... of uh, she certainly had many good impressions yeah, we, of the life together, said, but, uh, yeah. She loved it, it was full. Hmm. I think it's one line. But yeah, I can see uh, I can see where you're going with that. But uh, still, uh, I I would dare rate this like a five out of five. I think this is perfect, and uh, not, you just get sucked in. Uh, One hundred thirty minutes may seem like I finished this in two days, <laughs> but no. Once you're into it, maybe thirty forty minutes in, and, and get a feel for for the direction and acting is just excellent. Uh, mm -hmm. I think this is the way to segue into our next review because the reason why Twilight Samurai or one of the many reasons but I think possibly the main reason is that you've got characters that you can believe in and that have depth and that you want to spend time with mm. and that you can you can empathise with which means you know you get sucked in to the characters and the story and it doesn't seem long and you're emotionally invested in it which is exactly what doesn't happen in Samurai Commando. Dum dum dum. It doesn't. So, this is a big piece of shit. Shit, shit, shit. <laughs> oh my god. What kind of movie did you choose for us, Stuart Sutherland? Wait, oh, oh, oh yeah, I done this bit, didn't Yeah, I? that was you. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh yeah. So, uh, I don't own the DVD, I think. That's. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I owned a deluxe edition. Did you just turn around and look at your DVD stack and go, oh, wait a minute, that's Japanese, I'll have that one. Mm. Well, what, what do you expect? He's like, right, sure. You're doing the Chambara Samurai section. He's like, okay. Let's see what I own. I own a Japanese film that also has Samurai in the title. Too bad for one stone. <laughs> Alrighty. You didn't have to, you didn't ask 
to be a good movie. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it provides a contrast and maybe not a movie that people uh, discuss uh, frequently, but uh, after our reviews, uh, people don't want to discuss it frequently or, or nor watch it. So, uh, mm-hmm. so, got, so uh, sorry. Sorry, I was going to say, I've got a little blurb here from the, the promotion you... team for the film. <laughs> oh. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to highlight the bits that are untrue. <laughs> Start right. says that it's Akira Kurosawa meets Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> I think it's probably more bull meets shit. <laughs> As tanks, helicopter gunships, and marines take on swords, pikes, and horse riding samurai in a violent and bloody. It's not bloody. In fact, there's no blood. Battle in which the Earth's future is literally at stake, boasting state-of-the-art CGI effects. <laughs> and explosive action sequences. Yep. Samurai Commando is a fun yep. and invigorating <laughs> cinematic roller coaster ride through time. Oh my god. Well, they were desperate, weren't they? <laughs> Bunch of liars. Phew. Alright, a little background on the film. It's, uh, it's uh, apparently a manga as well as this uh, feature film. Focusing on the adventures of a modern-day Japan, uh, a modern-day element, uh, the Japan Ground Self-Defense Force, and they accidentally travel to the. They do some sort of experiment. Uh, they act- and that they end up traveling to the Warring States period of Japanese history, and um, then they send in another team to get them back. Da-da-da-da. Uh, both the film and manga are based on um, a movie called Sengoku Jitai, aka Time Slip or GI Samurai 1979, an action film starring Sonny Chiba as the leader of this um, uh, platoon sent back to feudal Japan. And uh, it was directed by a director who's directed some of the more recent Godzilla movies Godzilla vs. Megasaurus, Godzilla against Mecha Godzilla, and Godzilla, Mothra, and Mecha Godzilla, Tokyo SOS. Seems like a good choice of director. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the Godzilla movies, although I haven't seen the modern ones. I have a weak thing for the old ones. And uh, certainly a director that seems to be used to be creating uh, mayhem, easily digestible, uh, an easily digestible B-movie, and really seems suitable for this mission. How wrong things can go. So, go on, Stuart. Okay. Uh, well, I received this as a gift from our good friend James. <laughs> Making excuses now. <laughs> and to be honest, I, I really like the concept. It's, I can do that. Mm-hmm, it's one of these things where it's like, well, I think the other way about where like medieval samurais are being put into modern day Japan. And this is a sort of film where it, it, it does that, but there's something about the film that's not really that interesting they had the opening reel they had me there you know, mm-hmm. for the first five minutes before the title comes on screen it's like wow cool mm-hmm. it just seems like these great like one of those great dreams you have or this great video game you've played it's just a really great idea mm-hmm. and I'd actually had hope for it when I saw the trailer for this uh, Takeshi Miki film I've, I've not yet seen I think it's called Izzo or Izo, mm-hmm. where there is one scene where I think obviously something similar happens where a medieval, I keep saying medieval, 
a samurai gets put into modern day and you just see him running through like a like a town centre slashing down businessmen <laughs> and there's obviously the guy's freaked out about where he is and he's just just went in rage mode and tapped everyone that sounds sweet and he's like there's I've still not seen it and I really do want to see that just for that scene he's like obviously this film's going to be really interesting so I thought like this shit's like being cranked up to 11 this is they've got their tanks in there now this that and the next thing and bad CGI or not the, the first few minutes does wreak a promise mm-hmm. and I, I do love the one part where it's the shot where you see all the tanks all like in the army base the wee time portal thing happens disappears and all like in its place is grass field and then in the past all you see is like a big circle of tarmac <laughs> that was only. Yeah, I, I, I did get a giggle at that. It was oh, even tin the ground away. <laughs> Would be more fun if they did it in the city and brought with them like half a traffic light or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I could, yeah, it's just God. It's been a while since I've watched that film as well. But does it go downhill for you after that? Uh... It doesn't really. I I really just ended up with an average opinion on it. Like it was all right. You know, like if you are doing the drinking game, I, I've said the keyword for this evening. It's all right. So, but yeah, <laughs> there's things about like sure when it all picks up and the evil guy in the army joins the evil general. This that uh, there's gunfights, arrows, stuff. Yeah, I actually, trying that sounds great. Mm, it I, isn't. You talk about it; it was really great and. It it's just turns it average. Boring. Mm-hmm. How could they fuck up this material? This is great. But it's 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 boring. It's dull. You know what? This movie we watch, it's ninety minutes long. That's thirty minutes shorter than the original version. This was a fucking two hour movie. Originally. Jesus. <laughs> I mean I, I mean if you're gonna make a B movie, make it make a fun B movie. Don't take it fucking seriously. And that's the problem with this movie. It, it's it's not fun. It should be fun. You, have to, be a, you have to be a fucking masterful director to make this kind of material play, played seriously and make people take it seriously. But they, this, I don't think there is such a director. One of the only things he's got going for it is brevity. I think it clocked in at about 82 minutes. Yeah, still, long. still long. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, they, they certainly try to, to bring, you know, if you make a time travel movie, you obviously bring up themes of how your actions uh, affect time. And, and there's always new rules invented for movies in, in that regard. Uh, you know, uh, Back to the Future wasn't the, you know, be all and end all of these are the rules of time travel movies and everyone will hit, adhere to them now. Everyone has their sort of theory on how, how it affects uh, history. And, and that's what they're, why they're going back because obviously the, the generals joining uh, uh, basically be, be becoming uh, samurais in general in the past they're, they're going to affect the world as it is now and, and, and when you twist and turn that and you real, uh, and I speak of it a lot you realise that there's no logic to that but that, I usually go with that and I, I, I did, I tried to do it but uh, you know it's uh, campy dialogue delivered with the utmost seriousness it's really tough, and it's tough to just flow with this movie. And uh, uh, 
I think when I read the fact that this was a shortened version of the film, I just, my head just exploded and I couldn't really focus. I mean, <laughs> you don't, I mean, it's like Korea. Can you imagine like this kind of movie? Yeah, yeah, I guess I could imagine this kind of movie surfacing, surfacing in Korea at two hours, two hours and 15. Mm-hmm. And it's so not deserved. But yeah, <laughs> Michael? Well, I read that the, 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 uh, the writer, Rio Hanmura, came up with the idea for the film in a bar. <laughs> yeah. I've got a feeling he probably carried well, on drinking after he got the idea and wrote it in one night. One sake. One more sake. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the first script probably had sake stains all over it. Mm-hmm. Um, although it could have been the result of some kind of bet, I think. Hey, real. I bet you can't write a film that is solely constructed on cliches of war and action movies. Yeah, I can. Or, I'll fucking show you some. <laughs> It's just cliche after cliche after cliche. You can see what's going to happen like 10, 15 minutes before it happens, if not longer. You know, the, 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 oh, the, the, the head, the lead, I can't get my words out here. I just, it's so shit. The the lead, the lead guy in it, the hero, joins up with like a, uh, a set of troops and his commanding officer instantly thinks he's a knob. And, and they also, by the way, bring out this here out of retirement nice. after... Uh, no, he works like in a kitchen. Oh, the crap, yeah, like, um... Under siege. Oh, I'm just a chef, mate. Oh, no, you, you were once the baddest of the bad. <laughs> Gotta come back, I'm all retired, I'm all washed up. <laughs> uh, the, the commanding officer goes oh, out God. and dies, again, inexplicably, from nowhere, decides to give up his life when he doesn't have to, just because there's a cliche to be had. <laughs> uh, d- uh, just all rubbish. It's all cliched rubbish. And with... not handled with, with the kind of light-hearted stance that would therefore make cliches work. Not at all. Well, the thing is, there's zero charisma. Yeah. And, and there's zero characterization from any of the, the people in it. They've got nothing. The only person who's got a resemblance of anything about them is the, the main bad guy. Yeah. And that's probably because he just looks a little bit evil. Doesn't actually do anything amazing. But you don't care about any of the characters, which makes this a real long, a long ride. Um, and like you said, if it was kind of, you know, okay, full of cliches, but you just, you just have shitloads of samurais and, you know, um, army troops going at it. Yeah, could use some violence this way. Yeah, tons mm-hmm. of explosions, lots of action like that. Then, okay, maybe it'd, it'd be able to um, keep its momentum just on the action. But it doesn't do that. The action scenes are really boring and few and far between as well. Mm. No build, either. I mean, uh, oh. it's just a steady, steady... It's even, but re- uh, the, the, the action, it's even but it's really low on the scale of quality, you know. Definitely. It doesn't I mean, build, it just stays there. Just. And they've got, like, you know, tanks and some helicopters, and they've got some nice costumes, the period ones, yeah. and they've built these really big sets for this, the town, or I'm augmented with CGI, but they've actually built quite a bit of it. Mm. And yet it still looks really cheap. 
I don't know how they did that either. It's like a TV movie and look and feel. I would like... I would be so surprised, and I'm 99.99% certain of that, the two-hour cut uh, is just worse. It, or rather, it's the same, but longer. <laughs> I mean, no one cuts out good... No, no one destroys an excellent movie. Yeah, if, if you had well, 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 you probably could, but I, I'm just so... What was it that they had that was lost when, when they cut it out cut it out to 82? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, can't, I can't imagine to... Uh, uh. I can't begin to imagine. Uh. Because, you know, if, it, if it's cut for overseas, then usually what they do is they knock out bits of dialogue and references that you wouldn't understand. Yeah. We're not necessarily going to understand historical or, you know, humorous ones. And then or, leave you with all the action and stuff. Yeah. Dialogue. <laughs> yeah. So I'm yeah. guessing that they've cut out loads of historical stuff. Because there was one moment where the main character goes, hears somebody's name and goes, wait a minute, what was your name again? <laughs> so Flashback! If you, if you, I'm guessing if you know the history, that's probably a real historical character. And you're supposed to go, oh, wow, a he's the future emperor. Mm-hmm. Whereas you're not going to get that. So I've got a feeling that they just locked out loads of history. Would have been boring anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, the beginning starts off okay. The very beginning. And, and the idea itself has definitely got potential. Potential for a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and a good action film, maybe with a little mixing in just a little smidge of like uh, a serious point about the future and how times have changed and things like that mm. possibly in between people getting stabbed up and shot and stuff but it just doesn't do anything it's just really cheap boring crap and, and I, I, I would you know it's, it's natural to say the following thing but I would rather go back to the 1979 movie to see what they did and I have a feeling it's going to be, even if it's only like a three-star movie, it's still, you know, uh, it's going to be loads better. And maybe it has that balance that you just spoke of. Maybe it does achieve that. Well, I miss Pride being Sonny Cheever in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you yeah, certainly have charisma in the lead character because uh, I, I wasn't sure first if he played like the 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 general turned evil, but he apparently plays the the, the good guy lead, hmm. uh, which should be good. Well, the writer of the new one said that he felt that that the original was a bit of a comedy, and he felt that he could he couldn't you know make fun of the, the Japanese um, self defense force. Right. Okay. And yeah. so they tried to take it a bit more seriously, and he couldn't he couldn't do it replicate the old film or just redo it. It had to be like a standalone film. So it's kind of based on the same concept, but actually. With completely different characters and uh, different scenarios. Certainly a fair point. So hopefully, the, if, it, if it is far removed from the original, then maybe the original's got a chance of being decent. And also, for fact fans out there, um, Hiroyuki Sonada actually had a small part in the original GI Samurai. That's right. Yeah, so there's certainly, uh, there's certainly lots to uh, to get from the Samurai cinema, and this. Thankfully, it doesn't uh, smudge the reputation of it, but uh, it's uh, it's an example of what to avoid. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine there's a following for this film. 
Well, I think in one one more respect, Stu's done a good job because I think we've actually got a genuine five-star film and a genuine one-star film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can agree with that. Don't you feel good now, Stu? <laughs> um, but yeah, should we round up? Uh, round off? Yep. Uh, round up. No, okay. Round up. Round up. Round up. Uh, no, no Japanese-related uh, plugs from you, guys. Uh, no, but I'll, I'll throw up the trailer for it, Izzo. That's a good plug. Michael? Um, no, I yeah. We've done enough good, enough good work for, for this evening. We have indeed. Yeah. So, that's it. Japan on fire number three, done with. So, I'm with your host, Ken Bozo. With me was... Stuart Sutherland. And... Mike. Bye-bye. See you later.